This is episode number 149, Conversations About Race, with April Dinwiddie. Welcome. My name is Oleg Loki, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement regarding our upcoming call called Courageous Conversation. These are conversations that take place every single Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time and are hosted through Zoom, where we have an open discussion about a topic that matters most in our lives. If you would like to know more details about how to join any of these upcoming calls, go ahead and send us a message through our website to which we'll respond with all of the details. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Now, let's get back to the show. April, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Happy Thank you. Here. Absolutely. Thank you for joining. And I'm so fortunate that you and I connected. I think it's been at least two years by now. Maybe even, maybe longer. even longer. <laughs> longer than two years. Time, time flies by. That's one of the things I'm learning at the age of 27 is just how fast the society really moves and how how fast do we go from one topic to another and some topics take a day a week to discuss others take two or three months like coronavirus did and then after that I was just like boom non-existent <laughs> and I was just very curious like how does that happen why do we not take the time sometimes to just take a step back reflect and really try and understand like what did just happen and what can we do moving forward? Um, the topic that I wanted to talk to you about is in regard to race and in particular the language that we use around it. And the way that I want to start off this conversation is by asking you the question of, from my experience, why do you think it is uncomfortable to talk about race? Mm. You know, there's a deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained, uh, all I can think of is just a system of operation that, that both black and brown people hold Mm -hmm. and, and also white people hold. Right. And they're vastly different. Those the two vastly different things, um, are due to enslavement. Um, and this like internalized, these internalized ideas of something is better than something else Mm. or better than black people. And that's, that's like, that's, I think, you know, you you can talk to historians, uh, you know, um, you can talk about, um, you know, that history coupled with racial trauma, epigenetics, all of the things that on a long tail in human experience compile our historical memory, our memory of the moment, all these things. 
And so you have to start with that very specific baseline that we are all walking around with internalized, generationally passed down human experiences of either superiority, if you're white, and a less than if you're black. Um, and that's not to say that everybody who is walking around who is white or black believes that reality, right? Or, mm -hmm. or operates in service to that reality. But I think that's the beginning baseline. I just did a podcast with my mom. And one of the questions I asked her was, what would you say to 16 year old April? And she said, I would apologize for the state of the world and this idea that so many white people believe they're better than black people. Mm -hmm. she, and she really sat with, I don't understand that. Um, the way my mom is designed, were, were her ancestors slave owners? I don't know. Were there people in her family close in that were racist? Absolutely, because when I joined this family, they made that known and we were not connected to them anymore. So all that to say that I, I think a, a lot of us living in modern time and day that, that probably haven't done a ton of deep research on the topic. We just know what we know. We see what we see. We move the way we move. When looking, it's not hard to see that, okay, there, there was a, there was a, a, a disruption of a, of, a, of a people's culture in enslavement that then rewired an identity, a collective identity. At the same time, there was collective identity happening around white people owning black people. So I think this is deep, 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 deep stuff. And, and, it, and you don't actually have to even talk too much about that. I think like anybody listening would probably get that idea. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to have all the history and who, what family, this, that. It was like just, it was whether you owned slaves or not in your family, you got it, you get it. Like, you know, whether you didn't want to, but did anyway, whether you were conflicted about it, it doesn't matter. I think that's the starting place. And from, so that's already slightly complicated, but you, you get it. Mm -hmm. Then you sort of move through the, you know, the last 400 years um, and all the things that have happened that largely went unnoticed in, in a more broad sense, redlining and real estate, um, uh, just straight mapping of towns and cities, um, you know, squashing communities of color, black communities that were rising up, um, just completely eliminating them. So history will tell you, and, and, and you, you want to get better at doing, you want to get better at having conversations about race, like do some homework and do some research, right? Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of directions to go. So it, it's the baseline of this is there's a history that we don't all understand. Um, but yet many of us, you know, as human beings, black or white have internalized the things. Um, so it, it, it's even fascinating to me because this is like the first step is to say, why, you know, like the first step is why do we think it's difficult? Like, that's the first question. Well, why do we think it's difficult? And I think I heard you say at some point, um, you don't maybe have the right language. You feel like you might offend. You don't know. 
the, so then it gets then it gets layered upon layered upon layered. So there's a lot of deconstruction of of our experiences. There is a leaning into language that we have to do, and then there's practice. Then you just have to practice being in conversation about these things that are difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've learned even through my conversations about these topics is that it's almost like first time using the words and there's no normacy around those words. So what I sensed is that even as I was asking some of these questions, because it was one of my first times asking those questions, it's almost, you begin to question the meaning of each word. And are you, is this the right word to use? Is it not? Is there a better one? And the thing that you mentioned about offending the other individual, I think that's a real feeling. I think that's a real feeling I experienced. And the other thing that I would like to point out as part of it is it's okay to experience that feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to process all of the emotions that come up Mm -hmm. with what you're trying to communicate. And the thing that I'm curious from your end, as far as the topic is concerned is where does one start or when can one start in understanding more? You, you spoke a little bit about the historical aspect. Is there a specific event that has made an impact on your life that someone else listening to the show can start with in order to better understand kind of the, the trail that we followed this far? Yeah. Well, you know, my, my reality of, of getting comfortable talking about race, class, and culture started in my family of experience, being a white family in a small New England town. Um, There was no, almost no conversation about those things. And when it was, it was around an incident that would have happened, a rare incident that would have happened where I was bullied, teased, my physical safety was at risk because someone was chasing me, calling me the N-word, whatever, right? Um, So that was the extent of the conversation within my family of experience. From college on, I really made it my business to to try to understand my racial identity, to to place myself in, in environments where there was an ease of conversing about race, like I lived 22 years in Harlem, Mm-hmm. Um, that was intentional, um, gravitating towards the few other folks of color or black and brown folks in corporate environments where I was to try to at least even have proximity to them and, and to be in conversation. So I, I've made it my business to, to get better at learning and conversing. And now I, that's what I, it's, it's, I do it with ease because yeah, I think it's urgent. And I work so much with adoptive parents who are white adopting and raising black and brown kids that there's such an urgency around that, that that I have to be really good and precise. And I do it all the time. So I'm good at it now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't always mean I like it. It just means I can do it. Um, one thing that, that, that recently kind of, kind of just knitted it all together for me really nicely was a podcast series called seeing white. And it's, part of a series uh, with seen on the radio, which is like an NPR um, kind of partnership uh, with, Duke, I think with Duke University. 
Mm-hmm. So it's seed light. It is really, 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 really good. I mean, it takes you through some history, some, it, it, and it does so in a way that like you can listen and, 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 and learn and, and, and reflect. So that to me was a great piece of content that, that, that sort of anchored me even a little bit more, but my ease of race, race, race conversations and any difficult conversation, quite frankly, has been because I was trying to understand my own experiences and my own identity and racial identity and had no, had, had, had no discussion of it really of that sort of thing in my growing up. Um, so it, it, it was, it was a job that I, I purposefully took on not knowing what I was going to do with it other than feed myself and, and, and learn who I was, which, which is everything and all, all the thing, like it, it didn't need to be for someone else. It just so happens that now I can use that journey to sort of unravel some of this stuff for some people at a time now where it has been getting more and more and more urgent. And now we're at the point where the urgency is so, is so high that people are asking the same questions you're asking of, of, of yourself right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I think to a degree, what, what I'm learning is that learning never stops, right? I mean, throughout, I think this whole experience on this planet is just learning. Everything that you think you know at one moment may not be anything that you know at the next moment. And so mm-hmm. I, I think this concept of one day you may know it all, next day you may know nothing, or even next moment, I think it's always there. And the ability to learn and to ask questions and to develop enough confidence to go into topics that you may not have had experiences in to start a dialogue with the sole intention of I'm here to learn. Mm -hmm. I'm here to better understand someone else's experiences in addition, my own, Mm -hmm. so I can move forward and be a better contribution in the world. I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. and, And you know, it's like under all of that has to be a deep abiding love. Like, under all that has to be, it has to be about love. And I know that so many folks hear, hear something like that and be like, and, and that, so it's, it's, all, it's all these things, right? Love is difficult to talk about. Now race is difficult to talk about. Family is mm-hmm. difficult to talk about. Humanity is difficult to talk about. Um, sex, drug, and rock and roll. Sorry, drugs and rock and roll are hard to talk about. But it's like, <laughs> right? But, but, but. You know, like when you do that thing that is scary, that you feel as though you are going to make a misstep, but you know it's important, that's really, that's, that, that is operating, I think, with a genuine love that we don't name. We don't have to say like, I love you you know, friend I'm that close to, but not close to, but I want to talk about race with you. But, you know, that's how we have to move through these things is, is with love and respect. Because at the end of the day, what I've experienced my pretty much my whole life, and now it's, it's just what I, what I know to be true, white people need a lot of help in navigating this. And now when you look at this dynamic of, okay, we were the enslaved, 
you had the power over us. We've now been, you know, interrupted as a culture, as a collective of people. We, I think it's some crazy amount of years that would have to happen in order for, even if we, even if black and brown people started getting paid the same right now, it would take like something like 800, 600, 800 years or something like that for us to catch up in wealth, right? So like, so all that and, and, and all the other things we know, right? Disproportionately suspended in schools, black and brown kids, disproportionately mm -hmm. in foster care, disproportionately incarcerated, uh, you know, all those things. And now on top of it, we have to help y'all with this conversation about race. Mm -hmm. And it's like, damn it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like really? But that's the only way. Like, like on, I don't see another way. Like, I don't mm -hmm. see another way. So someone like me who has done the work, has figured out how to, how, to, how to navigate this within my family of experience, is here um, presenting themselves to do this. Mm -hmm. um, I don't necessarily like it. Like I said, I don't necessarily like that I have to, but I do it because I think it's best for our collective humanity. Um, but there's also this. I also know for a fact, very clearly related also to my family of experience. There is just only so far a white person can come in terms of what we think we need from y'all to understand this, right? My parents had every incentive in the world. They had me, they had a, a, a biracial girl that they were raising, that they loved fiercely and still love today. They had every reason in the world to, to lean into more race, class, and culture expansion conversation. They didn't, they didn't do that. Doesn't make them bad parents, doesn't mean they don't love them, doesn't mean they created an operating system in me, right? that I watched them do that was on point. You know, we didn't do certain things in this family. We didn't, we didn't move through the world with uh, a, a ton of privilege. We didn't, you know, as white people, they moved through the world with, with respect and, you know, looked at authority in such a way. So that's what I did. So I was generally knew how to operate in spaces where I had, I minded my way, like I minded. And then I, I understood that more deeply that I had to do it and they didn't have to do it as much as I did. They did it anyway. Right. Mm. So, so that was an operating system and deeply embedded in me, which then translated to my, a lot of times my safety out in the world. Um, we don't argue when a police officer pulls you over, you take the ticket, right? You don't, you don't say, well, I didn't do that. But my, I, my, my mother never argued her way out of a traffic ticket. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like she never even tried. So like, I didn't, I didn't do that stuff. Now that's a, that's a, a privileged white operating system that happens when you get pulled over and you're white and you say, well, sir, I'm on my way here. People of color, black people, we don't do that. Mm. Right. So there's things like that. So, so the lack of culture and conversation was, was my, my, my moving around world identity was scaffolded by this way of operating that made, that made sense as a person of color you know, um, but, but the, they could have talked more about things and they just didn't. So that those are people who actually have an incentive, their kid to do it. Like, if you don't have an incentive to have this conversation, like what's the incentive of a white person to do it? Well, mm -hmm. 
white parents that adopt black and brown kids, well, that's, and I, I'm urgently pushing them to do this work, but what's, what, what were white people really willing to lay on the line to dig into this conversation? That's why I have a lot of respect for you to like, like let's go April, let's talk about it. Because a lot of folks just don't know how, don't have the skill or the will. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much to be said in regard to everything that you just shared. And one of those things that I've learned is within the past week or two, so much of it has been focused on action, action, action. But here's where I would like to challenge that view. And it's how do you know what to act upon? Let's define some tangible things that we can actually take action on mm -hmm. such as maybe having a conversation with um, someone of color and understanding mm -hmm. their experience mm -hmm. and what they've been through. So that way, maybe you start to challenge your own bias when it comes to your own assumptions, you know, that may be a step one. So I think there, there is so much that I've seen as far as let's take action, let's take action. But in reality, what I question more, and in my opinion, the way that, that you make change is you, you have to identify what are you going to take action on? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, I'm not in position to go change the NFL. I mm -hmm. just, I don't have that experience to, even sit at that table right now. Mm -hmm. So what can I do? What can an average citizen do? And, and let's face it, this is not only United States. That's, that's no. this facing this. This is the world. Yeah. And so I, I think it, it really boils down to what are you going to take action on? That's why conversations like these are helpful mm -hmm. because they can help you identify at least one thing, whether mm -hmm. it's developing a language, whether it's mm -hmm. talking to a friend, whether it's asking your parents, mm -hmm. what yeah. was your intention in teaching me about the world? How'd you go about it? My parents? No, I'm just, that's just a hypothetical. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 no. No, look, you know, you, it, it, you have to look at, too, the time we live in. It's like everybody learns and internalizes things in a different way. Mm -hmm. Right. If we've not learned anything from the pandemic and virtual school, it's what we knew to be true before probably is even more accentuated in terms of young people really do learn at different in different ways and they internalize and they can and, and they can compile things in their in their in their brain. And that the same is true for, for grown-ups, right? Like certain people are going to learn in different ways and like different things. So the couple of things that I have been doing with with parents, white adopted parents specifically, that translates to everybody who really wants to be in deeper connection and conversation and community around Black Lives Matter and just, you know, and I and it's it's all about resetting this like privileged personal operating system. And the way that I think in in and there's 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 almost like no no real action or interaction with anybody else until you take the time to assess and reflect on your on things that things that actually matter to you. Like I posted in one of the forums that I'm an administrator on for white families adopting black and brown kids. And I just posted a list of like black owned businesses, right? Um, you know, part of being really committed is to, you know, check in on what you're consuming. Uh, that's, both product, service, art, music, um, you know, reading, like, like 
I often say that I, you know, my parents adopted me and they kept doing white things, right? Um, there was, there was no cultural expanse there. And, and I didn't mind white things. They weren't bad, but I, I wanted it. I wanted to see different things. I, I recognize that now I wanted soul train. They were watching hee haw. I wanted Stevie wonder. They wanted Stevie Nicks. I wanted, you know, Toni Morrison, you know, and they, you know, wanted shell still Silverstein, you know, in terms of, you know, these things. And there, there was no diversity in our home necessarily. Um, you know, I, I always say that with, and also true because it is true that there's also a lot of love in that. Uh, space where I had a grounding and a, and a sense of identity, as I talked about before, in terms of my the way I operated in the world. So I think first and foremost, it's like so. There's that, right? It's like what am I what am I listening to? Look at look at what you recently watched on Netflix. Like you know, you can't understand something that you really, in some ways, don't have an interest, even a little bit, or an affinity for. Doesn't mean everybody has to start watching Blackish. Not not to, not 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 a bad show, by the way. But mm-hmm. not everybody has to start watching Blackish, or um, you know. Not everybody has to watch the CJ, Madam CJ Walker documentary uh, about her being the first black woman millionaire. Um, these, this content exists though, um, in things like the Central Park Five, um, the Exonerated Five, mm-hmm. um, things like Ava DuVernay's um, 13th. Uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that we can consume. But I think it first starts with like, what, what, what do I know and what am I actually doing in my regular daily life that like can give me a certain level of grounding and understanding about how I move in the world as a white person? Mm-hmm. And I think you, start, you sort of have to start with that because sometimes if you start talking to a person of color, a black person, like you, you're, you, you really have to honor and respect the fact that you got to come in knowing something, right? Mm-hmm. You got to come in with a little bit of reflective not just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. No, 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 no. Like, you know, look at one of the songs you love, right? Is, is that song rooted in an African-American, a black person's, um, you know, a Latinx person's music first? Was it their music first? And then we just, we, we took it on as, you know, what it was through the, through the presentation of a white person and didn't look beyond that. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you, you, you could go in all kinds of different ways with this and, and, and thinking about those things. It's, it's like, then there's, that's the fun stuff, right? To me, that's, that's like fun stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, and it should be, it should be, it shouldn't be always this heavy, heavy burden. We have to keep it heavy, but there's also these other things that can be expansions and awakenings for our understanding of another person's experience. Right. In line with that is, like do your research on statistics. You know, I just posted a statistic about um, the disproportionality of black and brown kids being suspended in schools in the state of Rhode Island. I think the, um, where I grew up, the like black and brown kids make up, like, I think it's like 30 or 40% of the school population. And yet they account for 54% of the in-school and out-of-school suspensions. Like know your data because Mm -hmm. when, 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 when you have to be a person of influence in your sphere of your other white peers, right. And they're like, nah, nah, that stuff just happens. And it was just, they were, there were these, you know, 27 murders in the last X number of years or whatever the number is 
with black people by white people. Yeah, but you know what? Like that just, that stuff doesn't really happen. We don't, you know, that doesn't happen in our community or la la la. No, 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 but what is happening in your community is black and brown kids are getting put out the classroom more than white kids. Black people are getting arrested more in your community than, than white people. Um, you know, disproportionately um, look at the people who are hired in your local community and who work and who are fired in your community and work usually the bottom quartile of, of, of folks of color in the, you know, exit, who exit or exited a company are folks of color, women and other minorities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's that, it's, it's all of that. It's like, to be really committed to this, you've got to, you've got to create a little roadmap for yourself because you want to be convincing to yourself and others. And in doing some of this research and talking, you'll be, you'll be finding muscles you didn't know you had in terms of conversation, and you'll be building a capacity and a skill to not only talk, but then maybe take action and be confident, right? One example would be if you're out in the world and you see someone in a benign setting, right? Um, maybe someone's being treated differently in a store than you. Um, y- you may feel um, a confidence and, a, and, and in service to someone's humanity and safety, is, it, is there something I can help you with? I'm here, I just saw that, I'm, I'm happy to help. And if they say yes, then, okay, so what, what, may, may I go talk to the store manager with you because I just saw what happened? Or, you know, it may, the person may say, no, no, I'm good, but I appreciate you, right? Like, it's that kind of stuff that we often go like, oh, wait, we do, I don't, that's a black person, I'm white, uh, um, mm-hmm. I, I just saw that, I'm uncomfortable, I'm, I'm just gonna go home and put my head down, you know? And feel bad about it. Um, we've got to get more practice, and the only way we get practice is if we like start doing something, mm-hmm. and and take a risk, and you know, be sincere in our commitment to Black Lives Matter. And it's deep and long and wide. And you pick the things, and then you go down the path and be be you know be earnest in that. Mm-hmm. The thing that you mentioned about content, without a doubt. It exists. There's plenty of it to learn from. I remember one of the things, one of the shows that I watched on Netflix, When They See Us, and after I was done with, I think it was four episodes, after I was done with the fourth one, I actually called Yusuf. I thought it was just on his website, his phone number, and I called him and I said, hey, this is what I watched. This is what I took away from it. Mm. And uh, I remember he said, he's just like, okay, that's not many people call in in regard to this and actually ask these questions. But I, I think it kind of just goes back to the point that you do have a choice in what you consume. And here's another thing. The things that you consume, the things that you buy, in my opinion, those are direct votes. You, you, that's voting at, at its best. And I think oftentimes what I've learned is that we have a different concept of what voting is and oftentimes it's it's going to the booth or voting for a president those are the only times when it when your vote counts on when you're voting but in reality that's not the case every time you go to a grocery store and you pick this can of beans instead of that one that's a vote that's a vote for that company that's a vote for that ownership and so i i think in understanding what you are voting and how you're making choices is important hmm. because that's action and action is going to speak way louder than words Mm -hmm. and so in choosing what you support and how you consume it and how you support it is i think it's pivotal pivotal And, and, and you know it is pivotal and it is a vote i like the way you said that because 
you know, we'll do the research around sugar content or um, fat content, or we'll be surgical when it comes to what we're, what we're ingesting. And yet it's too much work to figure out if this is a black owned company, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But if, if in fact this company is actually, you know, not servicing black, the black community in a way such that there's no black leadership within the organization. Um, the, the, the black and brown folks sometimes get hired and, but they're the, they're the first ones to be put out the company. If, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're looking at who, who exits the company, that data exists. And a lot of times that it does bear out in data that, that, that reality. Um, so it's, it's, it's really being committed to, something we know how to do, which is research. And, you know, with the same precision that we would look for fat content or sugar content or whatever, or caffeine content, we should be saying, taking a quick look at, oh, what, who is this company? What, what do they stand for? Um, and if you can't, you know, obviously exclusively shop at black owned businesses, which I don't think is, um, is, is, is in some ways reality, although Killer Mike did a great show on his, um, his reality show, Killer Mike did um, only, I don't know how long, maybe a week's time, where he only, only bought things from Black-owned businesses. Look it up. It's kind of a, a fascinating show. It's a fascinating dude anyway, but like his, his show, um, when he just only Black-owned businesses for like a week or something like that. And so th- you can do it, no doubt. Um, I think most people, when it comes to these things, if it's, if it's, if it's a high degree of inconvenience, they'd pull the ripcord. Right. So I think what I hope now is that given where we are, that you'll go that extra mile to get that research. You'll listen to that whole podcast series. You'll reflect on it. You'll, you know, think about what it would look like to interact with someone in real time that may be being, um, discriminated against or marginalized. You'll go to your your school district, your local school district, whether you have a child in that school district or not, you'll ask for the discipline data. You'll talk about the relationship with law enforcement. You'll talk about who is, um, you know, the, the go-to for discipline in the school and, and how and why. Um, you'll, you'll ask them about their lesson planning of historical narratives around um, Black and brown people people of color like you'll do some homework because that's holding people accountable and and now can you do all these things no and do you are you expected to be an activist or protester no um but you gotta do something Mm -hmm. you've got got to do something i mean and and i've given some folks some things here to do that maybe people are already doing i'm sure some some are for sure but, but you know do a real do a real reflective exercise about some of the things you're doing and how you're moving through life. I mean, it's the same stuff I do with adoptive parents. I'll, I'll, um, you know, I'll ask them about what's on their bookshelf, you know, what's in their pantry, what's the recently watched on Netflix look like? Have they been to the school to have these discussions? Um, do black people come into their home? Does your child see you loving other black people? Right. And if the answer to those questions are, I don't know, or no, um, that's a rewiring, an urgent rewiring of your family's operating system at the benefit of your child. And those families are the ones that have to be in it the hardest right now. Um, But every, I think just every white person would benefit from some of these, 
some of these exercises and some of these reflective, you know, things uh, to, mm -hmm. to just get more grounded in this. I mean, it's like, yeah. The thing that it makes me think of is I think part of the challenge or what may appear as a challenge is living in an individualistic culture while trying to think collective. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's what I've learned is that in us having lived in Russia, which is relatively similar when it comes to that is so much of the life that we build. It's based on what is my version of success versus what does the version of success look for a collective? What does it look like for a group? And those are you, I mean, talking about operating system, those are big differences in operating systems in putting yourself first versus putting a group of people first or, or beings and animals and whoever else that's part of your tribe. So I, I think there's a lot to also be said in regard to that and why the thought pattern might be the way that it is, is that so much of the world that we built, in my opinion, it's around individual choices. It's, yeah. it's you have to survive and then think about us as a collective. Our country was built on rugged individualism, you know? Mm -hmm. Like from the get, we were like, me, mine, mine, not ours as a collective. This was about, you know, breaking down this idea that, um, you know, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. You are in charge of your life. Um, and that just, and, and we inflicted that, we inflicted that type of, um, we inflicted that type of idea on American Indian and Alaska Native cultures, right? There was they the American Indian and Alaska Native cultures, it is it is a it is it is a true collective. Our our children are all of our children. Um, they know how to take care of their children. We went and interrupted that process, right? Because we have this other idea, right? And we wanted things. So it, 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 it's built on that. It's like that, that's, a, that's a core foundation. Now, have there been several communities, which I've been a part of in, 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 uh, over time, um, where there is a collective mindset and you know, that there are cultural elements of, of togetherness, but they're, but they're still quite individual in their togetherness as well. So I think that's just another sort of multi-generational in, in internalized system that is, is really about my family's my business. Um, we never really thought we needed to know who we were. We were, it was really about survival. If we, we knew who we were, if we were alive and that's all we needed to know Our we, our families are fed we're alive. This business of actually having personalities and like identities, you know, mm -hmm. is new, it's fairly new, right? In, in, in modern time. So now we've taken a lot of history where that didn't really matter necessarily, right? Like this, this deeper understanding of identity, collective identity, individual identity. And now we're sort of like that mash up into social media where it's like, who am I? And where do I fit? And ancestry DNA and 23andMe. And, you know, we went from like, 
like not really thinking that that was important necessarily. I mean, it, it you know, in, in more recent times it has, but prior to that, like my families to my parents' generation, they were like, everybody was kind of the same. Everybody worked to feed their kids and try to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. Maybe they went on a dance every once in a while. Maybe they did the, but like there was none of this, like who am I and who do I want to be? And um, you know, this is new, fairly new. And, but now we're sort of drinking out of the fire hose because we really don't know how to do that stuff of building identity that hasn't been passed down to us because we, that's not what our parents did. And now we're just like, Oh wait, I have to know all these things about who I am. And the answer to that question is yes, because now we have a much more intricate way in which we operate in the world and a much more risky way on some level that we operate in the world. The, the, the lions and tigers and bears aren't coming after us like that kind of fear and complexity, but more of this, this complexity in terms of relationship to each other. And so I, I just think it's a lot to manage and we're asking a lot of each other. We're, we're asking a lot of each other and we have to ask a lot of each other because people are dying. Mm-hmm. And all of the stats you said before, I said before. So we have to ask a lot. It is a lot. We have to be patient. You know, I think about how I've had to learn what the limitations of, of, of white people are that I know and love, how, I've, how that's been a tough, a tough thing to you know, swallow for me. But yet, I love them. I just, mm-hmm. it helps me calibrate my expectations of other white people, right? And it allows me to have love there while still trying to get some of the things I need and my needs met, met other places, still pushing them towards a, a, a deeper awakening and a understanding and maybe rerouting of their way they operate in the world. But we, we also have to calibrate the reality. Now some white people, man, that are, that are in it big. I get it. I see them. I see them. I appreciate them. Um, some parents that are showing up like, like really like committed and doing the things and like making their kids psychologically, emotionally, and physically safer in the world. Um, but there's a, there's a mass of folks and I'm the, and I'm talking about the folks that are, that are tuned in and plugged in and ready to go. I'm not talking about the straight racists who are cheering on these folks that are killing black and brown bodies. Like, you know, that I, that I don't, that's not for me. Like that's not mm-hmm. for me, but I, but I have to acknowledge it. It is there. And then there's like the, the, the layering of that idea to down all the way to, I'm not a racist. I don't see color to like I'm, I'm in and I'm going to do everything I can for my black and brown brothers and sisters, um, even if that, that means like like giving up my seat on a board so that a black person can have it, those things are starting to happen. So like there's this whole continuum and we, we really have to be careful about what we think um, is, is doable, not because I'm not a positive and hopeful person, I just live in reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a fine line between the two or a healthy balance for both of those. April, what do you have coming up as far as the work that you're doing right now? And what are some ways that people can get involved with what you're doing, get connected to who you are in your work? Yeah, thanks. So the past couple of years, I've been doing much more consulting and speaking and training of, of professionals and parents. I tend to do this thing where I, my, 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 my mother of origin named me June, my adoptive parents named me April. I was born in October. Um, so this like confluence of names that whether I was named, but then not connected to for any other reason. Um, <laughs> birthday. Um, 
but June is a, is a family name, uh, family of origin family name, which I, which I learned later in life, which is a beautiful thing to learn as an adopted person. And then April was just a name that my parents liked when they adopted me. So the, the whole born in June, raised in April identity that I claim through my podcast, through my social media is like a real sort of stake in the ground when it comes to identity. I'm both, right? I'm June and I'm April. I go mm -hmm. by April, but most of the world knows me also as well as June in April. So I've created this curriculum that um, like takes parents and professionals around the calendar month by month to sort of de deconstruct the complexity of our experiences, um, adoption experiences, and differences of race, class, and culture, all of that is in that. Because what I have found, and you probably, this rings for you, is you know our lives and our family structures are connected to the, the most complicated and complex things that we experience as human beings beings, right? Uh, grief, loss, um, abuse, neglect, um, racial disparity, uh, mental health issues, um, uh, addiction, um, uh, market forces, mm, um, uh, 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 differences of race, uh, class, and gender and culture. Um, it's all an adoption of foster care. So when you think about it as this big collective thing that nobody counts on is going to be this hard, um, the way that I found to help people deconstruct it is go month by month, uh, theme by theme, and say, okay, the calendar is our collective thing, our collective container that we don't, if we're not minding the calendar, we're off the grid. And if we're off the grid, I don't know you and it doesn't matter. So I've taken and broken down this calendar and I, I do this work around making sure that parents and professionals can have tools every month to sort of engage in conversation, reflect, do that work. So that's one thing, doing a lot on race, class, and culture um, um, trainings for professionals and parents. Um, I do a camp in the summer for um, families that have adopted transracially and are um, looking to, to do better in their parenting. Um, work on a couple government grants, um, work at schools. I do affinity groups for schools for adopted kids and do their parent, do that parent work. And um, yeah, I'm looking to do more diversity work in corporate America, go back to corporate for where my roots are. And sort of the same work that I do with parents and professionals is the work that everybody needs to do. And I think that we as a cohort of folks that have been involved in different family structures and, and navigated difference uh, up to now are sort of um, leaders in knowing how to do this stuff. So mm -hmm. we're maybe better positioned to sort of lead some of this than other folks. So I'm hoping to do more corporate work and, um, I also work in school systems to help um, their discipline um, processes uh, that are usually targeted at minority kids and sort of help faculty, staff, administrations, and systems like do better within, um, within that piece of, of um, um, you know, sort of dismantling uh, bias and, and racism. So those mm -hmm. are just a few things. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said when it comes to individuals who have had the experience, lived experience in particular, and are able to take a step back and help others understand that experience. There's, there's so much that I've learned along this journey of mine that really, in my opinion, in order to successfully teach a person about your experience and action that they can take, you have had to have healed certain elements of your own experience and understanding the night. And, and, and it's not to say that you start off with that. I certainly didn't. I remember the first time I shared elements of my story, I probably took people through a journey where they were, whoa, 
he's yeah. actually going yes. deep into that trauma. Right. And there's just, the, and that goes back to the conversation that you and I had this entire episode, and that's the importance of developing the language around it and understanding how you can communicate the experiences that you've had in your life to others so they can better understand their own experiences and relate in situations where they may not have been in the same exact shoes as you were, but yet they can still identify. They might have had someone in their family who went through it. So I think there's something to be said in regard to your work and the work that you've put in internally in understanding that, hey, there are healthy ways to approach it and then there are not so healthy ways to approach it in teaching someone about your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, look, it's, it's all like ir- ir- ironic because the thing that was my, you know, my, my, biggest, my biggest healing and human work for myself has now become the thing that I help others with that gives me the most um, like joy and um, validation. And I also believe that doing the work, especially with professionals and parents, means that you know we are we will be making generational shifts and adoption will be different adoption will be different over time um and it will be safer and it will be healthier and it will be in more in service to truly the the best interest of children because mm-hmm. we are gonna, we are going to be you know teaching and 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 building skill and capacity around um this experience and and so as it translates to the discussion about differences of culture and race it's the same idea mm-hmm. it's something that you know it's so you, you can talk about adoption well you can look at the history you can look at the experiences you have the tools to navigate these other things around race really well, not to say that they're exactly the same, but like it's, it's about come sitting with a deep level of complexity. There's a lot of emotion in it. All of these things that sort of come together when, especially at a time like this, when we really are in, in, a, for, in a time of crisis on pandemic and Black Lives Matter, um, it's, it, it just requires a, a high degree of, 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 of um, engagement and, um, and one that that needs to be guided. Generally, we need guides. We need we need leaders and guides who can help in in, in daily life in big ways. And so, you know, I, I hope to continue to be that for folks, knowing that you know my soul and a lot of my identity is much more settled. And there's a lot you know still to do. There's always you're always learning. But like, if I can take some of that now and translate it into others for the better, you know, sort of greater good, I'm I'm all about it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd, and this conversation is evidence that 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 we we can be in conversation. We can like do things um, and say what can be done um, without feeling like it's it's completely hopeless. Um, uh, there's just work. It's like real like real work. Yeah, and I think in regard to the comment that you made about adoption, in my opinion, it's already changing. The, yeah. I mean, when I when I first started to do a lot of my own journey or exploration and discovery there was just so much that i learned even in the concept of international adoption thinking that once the adoption happens boom all your problems are solved but in reality it's like no it's just some problems are solved but you're starting a different journey here especially if you come from another country there's so much to be said 
when you come from another country and you have to learn all the 10 things that you mentioned, you know, the, the language um, and everything. So I, I think there's a lot to be said as far as where it was, however many years ago to where it is now. I, I already see the change happening. And for me, one of my personal goals, and I guess you could say it's a sense of purpose, is I personally want people to see beyond the label. Because whatever that one label may be, it's just one part of who you are. It's not the full version of who April is. It's not the full version of who I am. And that's the thing that I, I think oftentimes um, I caught myself doing in thinking that, oh, I'm only this. And really, it's just you're eliminating yourself from the full potential in areas where you, you may actually have more potential in and confidence, but yet you don't see yourself in that lens. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's, and it's, and there's, there's been an awakening and it's movement and it's happening and um, we're getting deeper, faster, sooner in recognizing that identity work that has to happen for all of us, but most specifically adopted persons who have pieces and parts that are missing. So Mm -hmm. with all of that, it does feel like for sure there is, um, there's, there's a shift and um, it, it needs you know, there's just still a lot more to do, but I do feel like because of folks like you and me and others in the community, um, both parents and, and adopted persons and some professionals as well that are like, there's a different, better way and where we're going to be, we're going to be doing some of that work. So it's just great to be in conversation with you. And I'm honored that you would choose me to have the conversation about some of the tough stuff that's happening now because, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's what, what we need to do. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.